Welcome to Kentucky Horsepower, the official podcast of the Kentucky Automobile Dealers Association. Hi, good day, everyone. This is Jason Wilson, president of the Kentucky Auto Dealer Association, and happy to have you uh, join us on another edition of Kentucky Horsepower, the official podcast of KDA. And I'm very pleased today to have our, our, our guest as uh, Representative Thomas Massey of the 4th District of Kentucky. And uh, uh, Representative Massey, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to talk a little bit about EVs and uh, what's all going on in that subject matter. So Representative Massey, thank you for uh, being with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Look forward to talking about this topic. I'm a, I'm a tech guy, went to MIT, got my double E degree, and was one of the first uh, purchasers of the Tesla Model S about a decade ago. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, I, I thought uh, based on our conversations we had a few weeks ago that you were uniquely qualified to talk about the subject matter. Again, you mentioned you have your Bachelor of uh, Electrical Engineering at MIT as well as your Master's in Mechanical Engineering. But uh, uh, in your words, you're bullish on this technology that uh, you believe it is yeah. uh, something important to help get us to an independent standpoint. But it's, it's also bullish, but there's that. <laughs> That's other right. But and uh, let's jump into that and, and, and let's start, I guess, with your overall thoughts. And I think our audience would also like to hear what your thoughts are on your Tesla ownership experience as well. Sure. I'm a realist. You know, being an engineer, uh, the glass is always half empty. <laughs> but, right. uh, but and also I have, you know, I've got a farm here in Kentucky. Uh, I haul cattle with a, a super duty truck. Uh, I run tractors, bulldozers, equipment. So I know what's inside of the operational envelope of my Tesla and what is not. Right. So, so first of all, let me say, after 10 years of owning this thing and being one of the first early adopters, um, it's really good at some things and it's not so great at others. Okay. So uh, the thing that it's really good at is if you never go more than 50 miles from your house. Right. Uh, yeah, I know these cars have 200 mile range, 300 mile range, but don't think you're going to go that far all the time. You don't want range anxiety. It's going to snow. The weather's going to change your your uh, performance. So if but if you're inside of a 50 mile envelope like I am in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. it's actually much easier to to uh, keep up with an electric car than a gasoline powered car or a diesel powered car. Let me give you an example. Sure. Uh, I ran my Tesla for a couple years and then uh, up in DC and then I, I had took my Mustang up there and uh, I darn near ran out of gas all the time because I forgot to put gas in it. Right. Uh, right. People say, well, isn't it a pain to charge the car? Well, if you're commuting, it's not really a pain. Uh, you just, it's like your iPhone. You, you right. park it at, in your garage and you plug it in and the next day it's full. And if you got a good iPhone battery, you can go all day. And if you got a good car battery, you, and you're not driving more than 50 miles one way, 100 mile round trip, you never have to worry about the range of the thing. So it's great for commuting, and it's easier than gas. Uh, one of my congressional colleagues, he always laughs at me. Every six months, he gives me a bottle of windshield washer fluid because every time I give him a ride, I never have it in my car because they sell that stuff out at the gas pumps, right? Right, right. right. So you find yourself like running out of windshield washer food because you, you never have to go to a gas station. Right. Um, here's where it stinks on long trips. Yeah. So I was a pioneer in this regard too. Before there was any charging infrastructure to speak of, 
I um, drove my Tesla in 2013 from Kentucky to Washington, D.C., which is far outside of its range. Sure. So what I had to do, I stopped in Charleston, West Virginia, and uh, charged for a painfully long time. They have those, uh, I call them slow chargers, mm -hmm. at the McDonald's. And so I took a tour of the West Virginia State Capitol. Like I spent like half a day in Charleston. Okay. My, right. my, my 12 year old son was with me too at the time, or 14 year old. Uh, and then we got in the car and that gave us enough to get to Cooper's Rock, uh, West Virginia State Park, where we stayed in an RV camp. And I plugged into the 50 amp outlet. I got a slot that was big enough for a mobile home. And I parked my Tesla there. And my son and I had a mattress and you, the Tesla back seats fold down and I had this Kmart mattress we slept on all night. <laughs> and then we swam in the campground, you know, that has swimming pool. We sure, used all their sure. amenities. We got in the car and we were just on fumes, uh, you know, which is trace electrons, I will say, uh, mm -hmm. made it to Washington, D.C. But now they have an infrastructure where you can charge. Uh, but it still takes me an extra two hours to get to Washington DC from Kentucky in an electric car because I can either stop twice and charge for an hour each time or stop three times and charge for 40 minutes each time. And you have to plan this stuff out. And so as an example, we, you know, we go to the beach, a lot of Kentucky hillbillies like me and my wife, that's what we do. We go to the beach every year. Well, sometimes I drive from DC and my wife drives from Kentucky in her internal combustion expedition. Sure. And uh, we get there, we have a great time. We don't care whose car we drive while we're at the beach, but then we both go back to Kentucky and she leaves me in the dust. She is not, right. she'll <laughs> stop at the first uh, charging station and eat Chinese food with me. But after right. that, she, I see her taillights for a while and then she's home two hours before me. Sure. sure. So anyways, that's where it's not that great. One way to look at an electric car it, a, a paradigm wise is when you buy that car, it comes with uh, a $30,000 battery in it. Now it may be a $20,000 battery. That it's almost like buying all of your gasoline for the car when you buy the car. Sure. And the electrons just activate the fuel that's already in your car, which is the battery, because the battery's going to deplete over a couple hundred thousand miles, maybe less than sure. that. Uh, it, so it's a one way to look at it is when you buy the electric car, the reason the price is higher than an internal combustion engine cars, you're really buying fuel in the form of that battery. It's, it's the, almost the lifespan of the car. Uh, you've got that much fuel, but you need to plug it in to activate that fuel. That's what the electrons do. So that's, that's one of the ways that I think about it. And uh, so that's the, the good and the bad and the ugly of it. No, that's a good point. And, and, and which brings me to, sort of this uh, these adoption rate projections coming from the Biden administration and something you said, you know, and I thought about before, but it really resonated with me is, you know, right now you, you go to a gas station, you're there, it's a five minute exchange, basically, right? You, you load yeah. up at the pump and, and you go. So part of my, I guess, one of my questions are, as you've, you've lived this, you've gone through yeah. this from it. Um, what do you see from it? The American public as a whole, uh, totally adjusting their mindset to that sort of a transaction where you have to charge and be there for an extended period of time yeah. versus just gas and, and, and go. And, and then what's the overall impact 
uh, of that, plus some of the other items we'll get into regarding this these adoption rate projections. Well, um, first of all, I don't think this should be anybody's first car. Mm -hmm. uh, it should, you know, if you're a household and you have two, you know, you can afford to own two cars, this should be your second car. Mm -hmm. Because it, it will work for you 95% of the time, but in those 5%, are you going to go out and rent a car to go on vacation? Right. Uh, or, you know, again, if you own a Tesla, you can get there because they, they're actually ahead of the curve in terms of infrastructure. Right. I, I don't know what you do, frankly. <laughs> I, no offense. I, I love Fords. I'll use, I'll pick on them because I, mm -hmm. I have lots of Fords. Right. Uh, uh, I don't know what you do if you have a Ford and you want to go to the beach, like, or drive to Washington, D.C. The uh, Tesla infrastructure is proprietary. Right. And I don't see any Fords plugged into it. And I also don't see charger stations for Fords, GM, Honda, Toyota, you know, pick, pick your automotive. I'm just sure. picking on Fords because I love Fords. Uh, but so just keep in mind, it's okay as a second vehicle. I wouldn't own it as a first vehicle. Now that, that's a good point. And interestingly enough, you met, you mentioned Ford. Uh, Ford's been in the news a lot lately uh, uh, regarding their new EV plan that they're looking to roll out and essentially that the ask is throughout the country is to have the dealers build that infrastructure for Ford where they're uh, to to sell EVs. Ford's proposing that uh, they have to install charging stations, these level three charging stations and whatnot. And in some cases, especially in our state here in Kentucky, because the infrastructure is not uh, where it is in other states, uh, that invest for the Ford dealer at this point in time can be anywhere from uh, half a million dollars to $1.5 million, depending on, uh, you know, what is necessary to, to build that. So a lot of our Ford dealers are wrestling and grappling with that um, situation right now based on, uh, again, that invest. And then what what's the return on invest, that invest going to be? How long is that going to be? Leads a lot of questions to our dealers. Well, also dealerships are not the place where you want to drive to to charge your car if you're taking a trip on vacation. You don't want to get very far off the interstate. Some of these dealerships have large parking lots. They're not in the most prime, you know, right next to the interstate locations. Sure. And also, do the dealerships want random people coming in and using their bathrooms? Right, right. Uh, so, you know, Tesla dealerships, they don't really have dealerships, but their showrooms, they do mm -hmm. have charging stations and they have sort of a lounge where you can use the bathroom and have a coffee. Sure. Uh, and, you know, it may, there may be some benefit in that it attracts people who will come and they'll look at cars while they're stuck there for 40 minutes or an hour. Right. right. Uh, I drove, I, I test drove a new Tesla while I was at one of these places. Oh, did you? Charging and this, had the self-driving feature. Okay. And, but you're also going to get a lot of tire kickers, too. I mean, if you're just sitting there because you want coffee and a rest break and charge your car, how are you going right. to tell if those people are serious about buying a car? Uh, you're probably not if they're plugged into your charging station. Right. So, right. Uh, you know, what Tesla did is they co-located their chargers, depending on the state and the region, uh, with uh, gas stations. So Sheets, for instance. Right. Uh, when I drive to Washington, D.C., there there are now like four or five different Sheets where I can, that's a, uh, I guess everybody knows what Sheets is. It's, it's sort of a, a quickie mart where you can get right. fast food and gas. Um, that I think was smart. Uh, in the beginning, Tesla located some of their chargers in like parking lots for malls. Mm 
-hmm. which was kind of weird because if you're going somewhere, you got to get off the interstate and find a mall and then drive around in their parking lot until you find right. where the charging station is. Right. Uh, I don't know about that. I think Ford needs to think that through a little bit uh, and the other dealerships. For, a, for the longest time, uh, I think it was Nissan uh, had uh, charging stations at their dealerships mm -hmm. and they weren't proprietary. They were based on the standard uh, electric vehicle standard. And so I would try to sneak in occasionally and charge at a Toyota dealership with my Tesla or I forget, mm -hmm. maybe it was Nissan. Right. So that's another question. Are you going to let other brands charge? at your, uh, at the, you know, imposed charging station at your dealership. I don't know. They, they're going to need more though, infrastructure than just the dealerships. Sure. The dealerships just aren't located in the right spots and they don't have hamburgers and potato chips. Yeah. And, and of course the other concern is, um, you know, Kentucky is not a carb state, right? There's 15 California air resource board states that, that, that follow the carb guidelines. So based on law, OEMs have to give um, priority to these CARB states. And then the question becomes, as we've seen over these last uh, couple of years, as far as the uh, uh, inventory uh, levels go, where does that put states like Kentucky after those 15 other CARB states go from a distribution standpoint? That's also uh, gets really tricky. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I've, you know, I'm trying to get a I hate to do this, but I know this is, <laughs> but I'm going to say it again. Anyway, I don't, I don't know if Ford knows this. I ordered one of their super duties in January mm -hmm. and I'm still waiting on it. And here we are October. And then yeah. the uh, Ford lobbyist, uh, he doesn't know this, but that I had ordered a Ford truck, but he invited me to the unveiling of the 2023 at Churchill Downs, which uh, the super duty, which right. was my wife said, open wound, insert salt. Uh, <laughs> right. Like, Hey, come and see our new 2023. You've been waiting nine months on the truck. Right, the one you can't have. Yeah, so I, I just threw that in there in case somebody from Ford is watching. Uh, right. And but no, seriously, distribution is an issue, and I, uh, you know, hopefully we get over this uh, the supply chain issues right. here pretty soon. One of the items uh, specifically, and, and a lot of folks watch this. In fact, it sort of went viral uh your uh yes you know your house committee transportation meeting with uh secretary of transportation uh pete Buttigieg, uh as you were asking some questions regarding the the uh use of electricity based yeah. on the current grid requirements or whatnot touch on that a little bit yeah. because again you, you mentioned these adoption rates and frankly uh getting back to that uh to the uh, uh being a realist about this talk a little bit about that yeah. exchange and, and your view on this adoption rate as a whole. You know, I think a lot about how much uh, power air conditioning uses and cars use and refrigerators use because I live off the grid. I built my own off-grid power system. My wife says our house is a science project. She's the mouse <laughs> when I go to Washington, D.C. But she always seems to find the cheese because she's also right. an engineer. She's a mechanical engineer. Uh, but I've, I've thought a lot about this and my wife has too because we're off the grid we have a certain budget of power and when we exceed that we have to quit using it and at our highest priority is our, our deep freezers and our refrigerators you can't let that stuff ruin right uh, but you know my wife and i there's always this contention between uh, are we going to run the air conditioner or are we going to charge the tesla mm -hmm. uh, and 
so what I pointed out to, to Buttigieg is when everybody is on the grid, uh, it, I did, I ran the numbers. I went to Biden's Department of Transportation, federal DOT, and I got the actual numbers. It, it turns out that if everybody used electric cars and drove the same number of miles we drive today, I'm talking about residential only, sure. uh, and they plugged in at their house, we would be using four times as much electricity for charging our cars at home as we use for running our central air conditioning. Okay, which is the biggest consumer of power, central air conditioning, as we saw in California this summer. Right. By the way, this was four weeks before California virtually, like the, the governor got on TV and said, turn off your cars or your air conditioning. You right, exactly. I was telling Pete Buttigieg this the, uh, four weeks before that. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's let's go with those adoption uh, numbers like Biden threw out 2030. He wants 50 percent. Mm -hmm of uh, all electric cars to be, or all cars sold to be electric. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, you know, I gave you the number, we would be using, if every, every car was electric, we'd be using four times as much electricity uh, for our cars as we do for air conditioning. But when we get to Biden's goal in 2030, if we do, we'll be using twice as much, because not every car will be electric. We'd still be using twice as much electricity for cars as we would for central air conditioning. Mm -hmm. We're all going to be California in 2030 if if Biden has his way, because the grid is just not ready for that. And then also by 2035, he wants 100 percent adoption on the federal fleet. Mm -hmm. And that's a that's a pretty big fleet. <clears throat> it's not inconsequential. So the problem is going to be how do you reconcile that uh, even if you had enough power plants to do it, the the transformers in your neighborhood aren't right. equipped to do it. Or the apartment buildings or condos or those sort of things where it yeah. becomes problematic. And your first instinct might be, well, charge at night when, when cons demand is lower. Right. Well, the problem is this, we're going to solar panels at the same time and they don't work at night. Like mm -hmm. the, you know, if you're going to be charging off the solar panels, you're going to have to do it in the daytime, but that's when demand is high. Right. There are technical ways around this, that ways to ameliorate it. The Buttigieg I, I didn't mention any of them in the hearing, but one of the things you could do, but and again, this is a paradigm shift, and I'm not right. sure if consumers are ready to support their electric companies, to subsidize right. their electric companies, but they could build a car that when the grid is uh, depleted or low on electricity, the cars start feeding back into the grid. Now, you may not be excited to go to bed with 200 miles of range on your car and wake up with 100 miles of range because right. your neighbor ran his air conditioner that night. Okay, that's a different paradigm for people, but it's one way to sort <laughs> of, yeah. as I sit here and try and think of how could we get to these goals you, one way to do it would be have the cars feed back into the grid, but still, again, you, you don't have enough base load uh, supply, and we've taken too many coal plants offline here in Kentucky. So, yeah, that's a that's a really interesting thought or concept. Now, here's the other question I have for you. Of course, this this huge momentum and push uh, towards EV uh, uh, has has come into place uh, at post uh, Biden pres uh, election, right? As, when, yeah. when President Biden was elected, then we have all this with very little pushback from the OEM. So 
you know, part of my question is, uh, and I think you put it this way, uh, political science driving this versus actual science driving yeah. it. Um, I'm a political like? science denier, by the way. Right. They, they try to call me a like a, a climate science denier or something. I'm a political science denier. Right. You know, uh, probably you didn't see this, but I also had John Kerry in front of me in a hearing in the Oversight Committee, and his only science degree is a political science degree, and he was <laughs> right. testifying about global climate change. So that that's the day I decided I'm a political science denier. So but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So what happens in if we have another shift, right? We have a presidential, obviously we have the midterms coming up as you're keenly aware. We have a presidential election coming up in a couple of years and we have a shift there. What What's the appetite then there? Is, is, is this, as this is a government led initiative, which is interesting from the standpoint of automotive advances through the years has, has been largely consumer driven, right? The mm -hmm. features and demands have been driven by the consumer and that's how we've evolved to where we are. Now we have a government driven uh, agenda. What happens with, if, if that changes in a couple of years in your view? Well, uh, there's, there's one sort of bastion of common sense that remains in automotive manufacturing and that's sort of in the, uh, the, the heavier duty trucks Mm -hmm. So I noticed when Ford unveiled their 2023 uh, Super Duty, there's not a hybrid option. There's not a battery option. Right. They, they put a bigger gas motor in it. They went from 6.2 liter as their beginning motor to 6.8 liter. Like there, because the people who buy those vehicles have to, they're buying them to get stuff done. Right. And it's, it's not a whim. It's not like, oh, I want, you know, this feature or that feature. They're more practical vehicles. So sure. what might happen is uh, you might have a lot of consumers who thought they wanted one thing, who, who now like migrate into commercial vehicles because they, they right. still work. And those, those uh, supply chains, those uh, sort of design parameters didn't change on the whim of a political appointment. Right. So, um, you know, that's kind of, honestly, that's kind of where I'm going when the, when the cyber truck, you know, when Elon announced the cyber truck and then Ford and, and, and other companies have electric vehicles, I looked at it and said, can I haul my cattle with that? Right, right. And um, you could for short distance, but you can't get stuck at the stockyards, you know, or, or a mile from the stockyards with eight right. cattle behind you. And, and, you know, what's the mileage when you're hauling cattle? Who knows what the mileage is? Right, right. You just got to get them there. And then, you know, you're going to find a gas station somewhere before you get home. Right. Uh, so, you know, we, we haven't abandoned reason and common sense in every segment of the automotive market. <laughs> uh, I think whoever keeps making a gasoline commuter vehicle is going to be in pretty good shape here in a few years when sort of reality comes crashing home. And uh, again, I'm bullish on electric vehicles. I love yeah. them. Uh, in the zombie apocalypse, when the zombies take over the refineries, you know, we I can still charge my car at my house and go anywhere. Right. I'm, it's right. independence if you, you know, have solar panels on your house. So I don't want to just be all, you know, clouds. I don't want to be Eeyore right. on this, but I'm also n not going to lie to you about my 10 year experience and looking forward. Yeah. So I, look, safe to say, I, I think 
what I'm hearing from you is they absolutely have their place. They have their role. They are great in certain instances, but this notion that we're just going to be uh, in 2035, we're going to be 100% EV seems void of reality and more in political science, to your yes. point, versus real science. Yeah, I mean, look, they're they're faster than lightning, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I had a, a 69 Mach 1 with an aluminum head racing motor I put in it. And, I, I, you know, I sold that in part to get my Tesla, which is much faster than, right. than that thing. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they do have a place. They are fun to drive. Uh, they're great commuter vehicles. Uh, but if you got to get your family from A to B and it's more than a couple hundred miles, uh, I would make sure it's your second vehicle, not your first vehicle. And if you're a farmer and you've got to haul equipment, don't think you're going to do very much of that with an electric truck. All, all good points. Look, I know we're uh, up against the time here. So in closing, first, I want to thank you for uh, spending some time with uh, us uh, here today so we can talk to our dealers about this subject matter. It is front and center of, of, of everything for our dealers right now is, is not only just that the dealer model looks to evolve, but uh, Kentucky infrastructure uh, is also just sort of beginning this process and, and putting this in place. So very much appreciate your, your thoughts on this. And uh, thank you for uh, spending some time with us today. Well, I, I want to thank you all. One of the reasons I came on is the dealers support me. Mm -hmm. And um, and they also, I got a lot of positive feedback when I tried to introduce some reality to Pete Buttigieg in Congress there in that hearing. So uh, I just want to thank you all for supporting me and, uh, and, you know, always being available to answer my questions too. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, that'll conclude this edition of Kentucky Horsepower. We'll see you down the road.